Today's podcast is brought to you by the Prime Original Series, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, winner of two Golden Globes, including Best TV Series, Musical, or Comedy, created by Amy Sherman Palladino and starring Rachel Brosnahan as Midge Maisel. Consider it marvelous in all categories. Welcome back to Chasing Emmy, the podcast for Emmy voters, those who know them, and just fans of the show in general. I'm Henry Goldblatt, Editor-in-Chief of Entertainment Weekly, and I'm here with two of my friends, Lynette Rice, Editor-at-Large. So good to see you. Andy Griffith forever. And Kristen Baldwin, TV critic. Uh, Metamucil forever. (laughs) Really? That's where we're going today? I don't know. We have a big show in store for you today. Um, We are doing outstanding comedy, and we've got a very, very special guest in the form of Deborah Messing, the star of Will and Grace, to talk about that show's revival and its Emmy prospects. Kristen, do you want to take us through some of the previous winners in this category? Why, yes. For the past five years, we've had two shows dominate. 2013, Modern Family. 2014, Modern Family, and that was its fifth win in a row. In 2015, 2016, and 2017, HBO's Veep, starring Julia Louis-Dreyfus, took home the win. So that was what you were, that's the show you were talking about, the one that is not eligible, because it hasn't aired this year during the eligibility period. And not only that, I dug further back, and from 2007 to 2016, there literally have only been three winners in the category. Before Modern Family, it was 30 Rock that had been sweeping it since 2007. This is like a ridiculously stable and some would say boring category. It's such an extraordinary change from, like, remember when Friends won and and obviously then Seinfeld and then, of course, Frasier. Those are traditional multi-cam sitcoms and then you go into this single camera era where it they don't follow the same rules there's not a punchline every you know three lines of dialogue and so is it like a snobbery too that maybe the voters get their idea well this stuff is hipper ergo we should stick with it as our best comedy I, I don't know I think comedy is a very personal thing people you know what you find funny is subjective and this is a category that has always been prone to dynasties a term you used before Henry um, like Frasier won five times uh, so I think once the academy finds something they like They keep voting for it. And, you know, Veep is an incredibly funny show. Modern Family is a great show. I still say it's a great show, even though, you know, it's in its 200th season and people are, a lot of people are over it. So, you know, these are shows that certainly deserve to win. It's just harder to break in when you're a new show uh, in the comedy category. Well, do you think that Frasier and Modern Family are the best sitcoms of all time? Because if you were judging just on Emmy Awards alone, they would be. They have five awards apiece. I think Frasier definitely is up there as one of the best of all time because I, I, that also is another comedy that's that's currently streaming on Netflix. And the comedy holds up. It's not locked to the time, so you can enjoy it now. Uh, and it's just, it's ingenious. I mean, the characters are are, are just so great anyway. Uh, and it, it was just the, I, it's an example of the perfect spinoff in the world, in the history of ever. But the comedy holds up too. Yeah, I mean, I would say Frasier is definitely uh, one of the top five comedies of all time. Modern Family I'd probably put in the top 20, but I certainly wouldn't say that's number one and two. Would you want to see a Frasier revival now that we're living in this era of revivals? No. Uh, I would have said that uh, before John Mahoney died. 
uh, it's kind of hard to imagine them going ahead with that comedy, you know, without him because he provided the foil, you know, between he's got his, you know, hoity-toity sons and then you've got this salt-of-the-earth ex-cop. And so that was such great um, tension there. But, I mean, I, I so miss Niles and Frazier together in that coffee shop. I could get used to having them back. I just, I mean, I love the show. I'm just kind of over these revivals. I just want some things to live as they were in time forever, encapsulated in sitcom Amber, never to be brought to life again. Well, Lynette, I remember, I think you did some reporting around this when Frasier ended. Wasn't CBS looking at picking it up? Not uh, when it when it ended. I don't remember that. I know that NBC had been talking about um, reviving Frasier in this last year. Then once there was the death of uh, John Mahoney, so I definitely think that stalled it a bit. But I don't get the impression that they just you put the whole thing on ice and said, forget it. I think it's still very much a possibility that I think that everyone seems to be willing to go with it. And I would certainly revive that before I revived Mad About You, which is in the works. Which didn't win an Emmy Award, I don't believe. So at four awards apiece is All in the Family and Cheers. And then at three wins apiece is 30 Rock, Dick Van Dyke Show, Mary Tyler Moore Show, Phil Silver's Show, Taxi, and Veep. I have a hard time believing that Modern Family is a better show and should be more rewarded than the Mary Tyler Moore show or All in the Family for that matter. I do wonder if like it doesn't have as many wins because the categories were wonkier, you know, back in the day. Remember how we've talked about how some of the categories were combined in the past and thing, you know, comedy wasn't necessarily competing with comedy all the time. But yes, you are absolutely correct. You know, the Mary Tyler Moore show should probably have all the Emmys. Uh, before, uh, I love Modern Family, but, you know, Mary Tyler Moore and Dick Van Dyke Show are both really seminal comedy shows that were influences for so many modern writers. We're looking apples to apples. Yes, they should definitely have more. Lynette, can you take us through last year's nominees? Okay, so last year's nominees, uh, Atlanta, Blackish, Master of None, Modern Family, Silicon Valley, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and Veep. And I believe we're going to see a lot of turnover in this category this year because, as we mentioned, Veep is not eligible, and I believe Master of None not eligible as well. Thank God. I mean, thank God we'll see turnover. (laughs) (laughs) And digging into this, the other thing that surprised me is that there hasn't been an African-American-led comedy to win this category since 1985, which was the Cosby show, of course. We talked a bit last week about whether we would take away the Cosby show Emmys, and you all think that they should remain. Only because it's a slippery slope and basically it would end up being a national Emmy recall program because like once once you start looking into the, you know, obviously his behavior is extreme. It's criminal behavior as convicted in a court, but it really would end up being a time consuming and probably not that helpful process to suddenly start taking everyone's Emmys away. And again, those Emmys were for shows in the 60s. It was for I Spy, the his first Emmy wins. And so I would leave things alone and move on to the future where we can make nominations with more clarity. Kristen, what are your favorite sitcoms of all time? Friends. Definitely. Like I still think about the friends and wonder how they're doing. And basically for me, all roads lead to friends. You know, the the amount of times I've said in my life, this is like that friends episode where dot, dot, dot. Um, soap. I am rewatching soap right now. And it is so freaking funny. Golden Girls. The original run of Arrested Development. Lynette, how about you? 
I don't have as many. Uh, but the best way to gauge it is whenever I see these shows running a, a rerun on some cable channel, I'll always stop and watch it. And that's either Seinfeld, Frasier, or Everybody Loves Raymond. I'll sit through the episode. So I'm having a really hard time. Like you, Kristen, Arrested Development, the first few seasons is some of my favorite TV ever. My, like, gun to head, and I'm like, I don't know how to admit this in this environment. Seasons three through six of the original Roseanne is, to me, is some of the best TV that's ever been made. And they, they, ta they tackled such difficult issues, yet laced them with humor. It was almost serialized at that point, and it was just so well done. And, like, I feel like it's a stigma to admit that. Henry, I think this is a perfect transition into talking about snubs because Roseanne is one of the biggest ones. I mean, uh, other than the individual ones that went to Larry Metcalf, she got three, and then Roseanne got one. The show was never, never won in the, the best comedy category, which really just makes no sense. Makes no sense. I think it's okay to say now that you know original run of Roseanne was incredible and was really funny because it was, and it's it's difficult to say that now in the context of uh, you know everything that's happened. That said, for me, I don't think it changes the fact that that was really uh, solid, funny comedy. Uh, my others are All in the Family which was just extraordinary. There's some seasons of Will and Grace, especially mid in the run that I just absolutely adore. And Kristen, like you, I'm Golden Girls forever. Oh, totally forever. Forever. Uh, Lynette, were there any other snubs that stood out to you? Uh, yes. Uh, I uh, think it's plain wrong that the Big Bang Theory has never won yet. And the same for the Larry Sanders show. It, Gary Shanley did finally get an Emmy in 1998 for writing the show with Peter uh, Tolan, but the show never won. It got a nomination every year, but never won. I can absolutely agree with you on one of those. Of course. I think you know which one. All right, it's quiz time. I got a bunch of questions this week. All right, for starters, which of these 80s and 90s shows was nominated for a Best Comedy Emmy during that time period? There are five shows. Ready? Home Improvement, Designing Women, Buffalo Bill, Benson, and Who's the Boss? Everyone except Buffalo Bill. I'm going to say they were all nominated, and it's a trick question. You are both wrong. Lynette especially, unfortunately. Home Improvement was nominated. Designing Women was nominated. Buffalo Bill was nominated. Benson and Who's the Boss were not. How was Buffalo Bill nominated? How was Benson not nominated? I agree with you completely, especially as someone who's rewatching Soap, Kristen. What the what? All right. Which of these shows were nominated for Best Comedies in the 2000s? The New Adventures of Old Christine, Two and a Half Men, My Name is Earl, Everybody Hates Chris. I'm going to say everything but Two and a Half Men. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't remember Two and a Half Men getting a nomination, so I think I'm going to have to go with Kristen as well, what she said. Okay, the two of you have never been more wrong in your life. <laughs> Jeez! <laughs> Was it just Two and a Half Men that got nominated? It was just Two and a Half Men. It was nominated twice. And I lived for New Adventures of Old Christine, which I just adored. Never nominated. She won, but the show was never nominated. My Name is Earl was never nominated. And Everybody Hates Chris, which was never nominated. Kristen, how many nominations does Arrested Development have? Three. Yay! Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Yay! I got it right. All right, Lynette, how many nominations does Will and Grace have? I'm going to say seven. Six. Very close. And how many nominations does Roseanne have? We answered this earlier. They won four times, but just for the actors, the show itself has never been nominated. 
Yeah, which is ridiculous. All right, up next, we're going to be talking about what shows we'd like to see nominated in this category. And later on the show, we have Deborah Messing, who's going to be talking about the Will and Grace revival. So stay tuned. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Prime Original Series, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, from executive producers Amy Sherman Palladino and Daniel Palladino. It stars Rachel Brosnahan as Midge Maisel, a housewife in the 50s who finds her voice through comedy, and she finds the strength to take on the male-dominated world of stand-up and basically everything else in the 1950s. It's got a great cast, including Alex Borstein, Tony Shalhoub, Marin Hinkle. It's really funny. The costumes are beautiful. I binged it all in like two days. So please, consider it marvelous in all categories. Welcome back to Chasing Emmy, the podcast for Emmy voters, their friends and fans of the show. I'm Henry. I'm here with Lynette and Kristen. And we are talking about the best comedy Emmy. And I want to dig in first. There are two shows that probably would have been I wouldn't say shoo-ins for nominations, but like better chances than none to be nominated, both Arrested Development and Roseanne. Um, And each of them have sort of been plagued by a little bit of scandal or in Roseanne's case, a lot of scandal. Kristen, do you think what's gone on with Roseanne and Arrested Development in terms of the problems that Jessica Walter had on the set, do you think that's going to affect their nominations, their potential nominations? I think for this category specifically uh, with Roseanne, it is very unlikely that uh, the show would get a nomination, uh, given everything that's happened and you know the backlash and the cancellation. As we discussed in a previous podcast, I think it's possible that somebody like Laurie Metcalf might still get a nomination for acting. But the show itself, I think there's just very, very, very little chance that it will get nominated for Best Comedy. Arrested Development... I think the scandal certainly, especially like if you listen to that audio of Jessica Walter crying about how upset she was about uh, Jeffrey Tambor yelling at her and all the other men like talking over her. It was just it was heartbreaking. But I think that's not going to help. What would certainly hurt it more, I think, is just that a lot of people didn't like this season. So I think it's a one-two punch, and it's got a better chance than Roseanne, but not a great chance. Jessica Walter is a national treasure, and she should be treated as such, as far as I'm concerned. Agreed. I want her to win all the awards. Yes, she's a hero. Lynette, you've been a reporter covering the Roseanne beat. What do you think of its chances to be nominated? You know, somehow that's going to come up as at least one of the jokes or the shout-outs during the monologue. Somebody, they're going to repeat the national treasure line about Jessica. So she's going to get some major props at the show, I think. I liked Arrested Development more than everybody else, but even I had to admit, like, the first few episodes of this new seasons were a really slow burn. I think they paid off at the end, at the seventh and eighth episodes. It culminated in typical Arrested Development silliness, but I don't think that anyone but diehard fans like myself and Dan Sneerson, who is on staff and loves the show, I don't think anyone else is going to um, get through it. I, I, maybe the better reaction would be, uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be upset if I saw it getting a nomination because I think Kristen will agree it was still a great season Uh, they did it they set out to what they want they intended to do and and tell a you know great relatable story about a working class family and I thought they they hit all the right points you know all the right subject matter that's you know that resonates uh with fans uh I, I I don't think I, I would be sh- I would be surprised, but I don't think that they would be un it would be undeserving. Now, if if um 
Arrested Development got a nomination. That I would be super surprised at because it seems like y'all are talking about like it kind of sucks anyways this season. So that I would be so surprised by. I, it, I mean, we're right now in that period of nominations too. So um, maybe there are already enough votes for Roseanne. And and there's just so much competition, too. There's so much good comedy that it's not like the voters kind of have to go with Arrested Development because there's just not enough to add to the nomination slate. So I think that combined with, you know, everything that happened off screen certainly does not uh, bode well for it getting a nomination. All right. Well, Kristen, why don't you kick us off? Speaking of all this competition, who is your first draft pick for best comedy? My first draft pick would be Marvelous Mrs. Maisel from... Amazon. Uh, I love that show. I watched the whole thing in like two days. It's really funny. It's beautiful to look at. The casting is amazing from Rachel Brosnahan, who's the star, to Tony Shalhoub, who plays her dad, and Marin Hinkle. Like everybody on it is just so funny. I think it's got a real shot. And I think it's, you know, sort of Amazon's real, you know, now that Transparent is kind of out of the picture, it's their great hope in the Emmy category. And we should note that if it does win, it will be the first streaming comedy to win in this category ever. Lynette, who is your first draft pick? Uh, it didn't get quite the same ratings as Roseanne, but I'm going to say Will and Grace. Uh, that production should offer a masterclass on how to bring back a comedy. I think what was most extraordinary to everybody was how it seemed like they didn't miss a beat. And of course, it helps that they all look fabulous. They just look so good. So yeah, to me, that's a sure bet. Sure thing. Lynette, you stole my draft pick. I was going to go with Will and Grace, and I was trying to be a gentleman and let the two of you go first. So I'm going to like go down to my... It's all, it's It was supposed to be my second round draft pick, but it'll elevate to my first. I'm going to go with Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I did not like season three at all. Um, these episodes that just dropped the first half of season four, I thought were some of the best episodes that I've ever done. They found a way to bring all four cast members back together and have them interact. And instead of being off on their old, own stories, which I thought was a little weird given such... A, that is such a small cast. Now that they're back together, it's such magic. And there were some wonderful, wonderful, wonderful inside jokes. I think my favorite is Titus gets a production deal with Wolf Dick Productions, which is like my favorite wordplay I think I've ever heard. <laughs> so Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. It works on, on more than one level. That's amazing. Oh, good stuff. Uh, all right. So my second round pick, I am going to go with Blackish, a show that Emmy voters really like. It's it's a funny show. It was nominated last year. This year they did branch out and do some serialized storytelling, you know, with mixed results. But I think it's a, an Emmy favorite and it deserves a nomination. My next pick is uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Uh, I don't think the show got a home run every week, but I think there was such um, love and affection for the fact that Larry David was back with his show. And there were obviously certain moments like the the musical about the the fatwa. I mean, my God, that was awesome. Uh, So I definitely see that show getting a nomination. Fatwa the musical, maybe my second favorite running gag all year after Wolf Dick Productions. I thought that was incredible. Kristen, you were not as big of a fan of the revival, were you? I wasn't. I mean, I thought the opening episode was really funny, and I just found the next few episodes to be uh, sort of reaching, like just trying to come up with strong enough pre- premises, premises uh, for the stories, you know, because they're such 
elaborate stories that have to all tie together at the end. And it, it started to feel like a little bit of a shtick. So I, I'll be honest, I didn't make it all the way to Fatwa the musical, so maybe I should have. It's a Hamilton spoof. It's just incredible. Like, I... I know, Kristen, you usually have the same sense of humor, too. And so I was surprised because I just adored this season. I thought it was one of the strongest ones. But I know I was reading a lot of critics didn't like it. Oh, Kristen. Yeah, because when Lin-Manuel um, comes and guest stars on the show, I mean, he's just magnificent. Magnificent. All right. My last pick, and I'm on the fence about whether it's actually going to get a nomination or not. And I'll explain why, is Glow which I thought was just outstanding. I thought it was like nothing else that was on TV. I thought Alison Brie and Betty Gilpin were just outstanding leads and doing some of the best work of their careers there. And the production of it, everything was just incredible. The problem was that it aired so long ago, and I'm wondering if it's going to be out of sight, out of mind for a lot of Emmy voters. Well, the fact that new episodes are dropping soon and, you know, uh, a lot of Emmy voters will probably have access to see them early may help it, you know, because the second season is really good. And obviously that's not what they would be voting on, but it would be a reminder to viewers that season one was all of those things you just said. And uh, season two is fantastic as well. So far, I've seen up to I think I've seen four first four episodes and it's great. I don't think that's going to happen. I, I I think we should have a discussion about replacing Glow with Silicon Valley. I feel like that has a better chance than Glow. Well, Lynette, this category usually has seven in it. So I'm going to let you and Kristen duke it out for the who gets the seventh pick. Don't we think it has to be Atlanta? Oh, sh- crap. I just don't. Why can't we replace Glow? I I just don't feel like Glow's going to get it. I just feel like that's such a niche performer. And, I mean, if anything, the show will get a shout-out in one of the actor categories, but it won't get it in this major category. I feel like you have to go with Atlanta. People love that show so much. That makes our seven picks. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Atlanta, Blackish, Glow, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and Will and Grace. All right, Lynette, who is your Let Me Plead for? I don't think it should come as a surprise because I kind of hinted to it earlier. Uh, I'm going to plead for the Big Bang Theory. This season was a huge buildup to the wedding of Sheldon and Amy, and it was deliciously satisfying, and not just because the episode ended with John Ross Bowie uh, uh, playing the lisping Barry Kripke singing, At last my wife has come along. My won't we days are over. <laughs> I think Kristen and I are both speechless, except to say, you know what, Kristen? If two and a half men did get nominated twice, why not Big Bang Theory? Yeah. I, I mean, up is down, black is white, dogs and cats living together. I guess it's entirely possible. But why now? Because it was such a great season. But like, if Emmy didn't think any of it was great ever, why would they suddenly now decide we didn't put everybody loves raymond on the cover until the last season so sometimes it takes us a while to discover genius but at least we discovered it just saying that's true fair enough Kristen, how are you going to top that for let me plead for i too I'm going to be a broken record here. I'm going to plead for Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which it has won two Emmys before, but they were both for Outstanding Stunt Coordination. Uh, It's never been nominated for Outstanding Comedy. Uh, Andre Brower has been nominated in the Supporting Actor Comedy category twice, uh, but never won. This past season was so funny. It 
it it com- it it also culminated in a wedding with uh, Jake and Amy, but it just it had it's a really solid. Uh, run of six, of episodes just like uh, it has for the past several years on Fox and obviously as you know the fan affection for it is tremendous it was the outcry when it was canceled was huge and it's now been uh, picked up by NBC I do think probably next season on NBC will be its last season you know it, it, sort of a farewell so I'd like to see it get a nomination before then can I do two let me plead for us or let me pleads for? <laughs> you can let me pleads for as many as you want. Great. The first one's going to be utterly predictable like you, Kristen. And I'm going to plead for Dear White People, which is on its second season in Netflix. It's such a lovely and wonderful binge. It takes on campus politics in such a very smart way and race relations in such a very smart way. I don't think there's a more intelligent show on TV right now. And I'm just so impressed with what they're doing. The cast is, we're going to look back at that cast in five or eight years and be like, we can't believe they were all in the same place at the same time. And kudos to what they're doing. And I'd love to see them get nominated for anything. I know it's a long shot, but God, it's such a good show. If nothing else, I hope you'll go binge it. And the second one, I think is going to be a surprise to Kristen and maybe Lynette. I'd like to plead for Mom, the TV show starring Allison Janney and Anna Faris. It was a very slow burn. I'd argue that those first few seasons actually aren't very good. And I think it's only when they recentered the comedy around those two characters and their extended group of friends that it's really started to sing. And it's rare that there's a show on television that just focuses on a core group of women. I think they've tried to add men here and there and the men just haven't stuck. And you have these five women who deal with friendship and sobriety and codependence. It's I laugh out loud every single time I watch it. And I think the Academy should love Anna Ferris. I'd love to see her get some love. I know that's a bit of a long shot as well, but she's she holds she goes toe to toe with Alice and Janney and does a great job. The Academy loves Alice and Janney, that's for sure. So it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. It wouldn't be a huge surprise to see them extend that to the show itself. Well, up next, we've got Kristen's interview with Deborah Messing, who stars in the Will and Grace revival. She's going to talk all about what it's like behind the scenes there. So stay tuned for that. Our guest today knows that sometimes you can, in fact, go home again. Deborah Messing starred for eight seasons as Grace Adler on NBC's hit sitcom Will and Grace, a role that earned her six Emmy nominations and one win. Then in 2017, NBC took a chance and brought Will and Grace back for a limited run. But the revival was such a hit, it's now been renewed for two more seasons. Deborah, thanks so much for joining us. Obviously, Will and Grace, the revival, was a huge hit and it's already been renewed. And so much of the success seems to come from the fact that it looks like you guys didn't miss a beat. You just picked right up where you left off. Did it feel any easier this time around? Or how did it feel for you coming back to it? Well, honestly, it took me about three episodes to feel like I finally felt like, okay, she's, you know, she's in my body again. I feel her again. I know that with Megan and Eric, they're like, oh, no, it was immediate. Like, it came right back. But I think that maybe in my head, thinking about, okay, 11 years has passed. Now, who is Grace? Who is she now? And what is the expectation of our fans? Are they going to want to see the same Grace because they loved her? Or are they going to be open and embrace embracing of a more mature Grace? And I was just trying to navigate that for myself because I really, I as, as a, a woman 
And as an actor, I've grown over the last 11 years. And I just felt it was really important to show that in Grace's characterization, but also find the little things that are, are quintessentially Grace. Like I said, you know, she has to sing. Because it doesn't matter if she's geriatric, 90 years old, down in Boca, she is still going to believe that she is a great singer and she's going to sing and love it. It was about sort of parsing that. And I think really once, once Megan and I got into the, the water tank, the 18-foot water tank, that was really where it all just sort of cracked open again for me. And I felt like, oh, okay, I feel there's a lot at stake here. And that's really where Grace lived, was she was neurotic. And, and here was a set of circumstances where that neurosis was tapped into. And, and then I, I, I felt her again. We've spoken before about how physical this role is. And you really throw yourself sometimes literally into the physical comedy of Grace Adler. Are there any favorite physical bits from this season that you've done? And, and how about some injuries? Because I, I believe you've said before that you, you have a kind of hurt yourself for comedy. Yes. I, the number of times that I have sprained my neck, my shoulder, my lower back, ripping ligaments while doing physical comedy, it's, it, 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 it's, not a, it's, it's a pretty long list. Um, and I think a lot of that was because when we started, I was 29 and I thought that I was bulletproof and I was just like, just be funny and let's have fun. And, you know, I wasn't very careful. Now I'm a little wiser and, uh, you know, I, I actually, the, the most fun physical comedy bit that, that I was a part of was, was certainly the tank because I think it was, it was the broadest comedic thing that that was uh, that was written for grace this season and so you know the broader the happier I am because I grew up watching I Love Lucy and Carol Burnett the Carol Burnett show and loved Madeline Kahn and so for me that's my happy place but I will also admit that I was hurt doing that oh what happened we never got to rehearse it because obviously it's an 18 18- tank of water so we had to wait and so we had to basically rehearse it in chairs for four days and then they brought in the tank in front of the audience and and so basically we got into the tank and we were there for three and a half hours straight and we didn't we never left and so a lot of it was screaming out and saying what is this funny is this physical position funny well what if I myself this way is that funnier I think it was the maybe the second to last scene where my arm is over the glass and my body is at a 90 degree angle to the wall after we were done and I got out I had this searing pain in my lower back and I went to uh, PT the next day and I had ripped a ligament in my back when I, when, when I, when I became straight again, like I had been, I had, I had been like that for so long. And then I just jumped down and, and that's when it ripped. 
Sean and I, we laugh a lot because Sean been to PT. We share the PT numbers and he does so much physical therapy and he has hurt himself so many times this season. We're just like, okay, we're not, we're not 20 anymore. Um, but we're not going to, but I, I'm sorry, I'm not going to stop because I love it too much. All right. And we love watching it. It makes me feel bad to say, I don't want you to stop, but <laughs> I also don't want you to get hurt. But it is, it is a, such a great part of this role. Any, anything for a laugh is really, has been my, has been my motto. The cast is so great for very funny people on this show. Is it a challenge for the writers to give everyone sort of the attention and storylines they deserve in, in every episode? If it is, I would not know it. Because every time we have a table read, it is so perfectly balanced. And each storyline gives each one of us a chance to have moments to shine. Certainly when we started the show, it was obvious. It was like, oh, well, wait a minute. You're too light in this episode. Okay, so we have to figure out how to, how to build that up. This scene we don't need. But um, I, I think by the time we finished, they had gotten it down to a science. So my assumption is it's really easy for them, <laughs> but it, it could be because they're, they're just so smart and talented that they make it look easy. Well, and it's also certainly probably helps that, you know, a lot of the original creative team is, is together. Absolutely. Absolutely. Initially, you know, when this uh, revival was first announced, you know, one of the things that the cast and the creators said they hoped to do was tell really topical stories, topical, uh, you know, talk about topical issues as the show always had. Um, and obviously, this is a very different political era than uh, the original run. What's it been like finding the balance between sort of tackling the politics, which can be very divisive, without making the show seem too one note or too pointed, you know, still finding the funny in these issues that are are obviously causing a lot of uh, division. We began Will and Grace from from the get-go. The thing that made it stand out as being very specific was the fact that we were provocative and we really pushed boundaries and we we commented on things that were happening today in politics, in pop culture. When we came back, that was a big that was a, a thing that I was adamant about. The world is different now and I was concerned that NBC would put a straitjacket on us and say, you know what? Oh, you can't, you can't go too far. Um, because obviously, like you said, the world is different and there is so much to comment on. And, you know, it's a different world. And so the kinds of things we're talking about seems to feel more consequential. But, but the fact is, is that we're doing exactly what we always did. The only way that I'll come back is, is if we are the same show we always were and that we can make fun of everything and everyone. And um, so I, I feel like it's not, it's not a worry. You know, the head of the network has said, go for it. And, um, and I, think, I think that the writers have been really um, skill, skillful uh, at, what the, the episode that really to mind is the bakery episode. Yes, I was going to bring that up. It's so interesting how they flipped that and had, you know, Grace advocate for Karen getting her Trump cake. <laughs> That's right. Now, an old Grace would have gone in full of steam and would have been Norma Ray. She would have jumped up on the, the thing and talked about justice and equality. And that would have been 
Grace 1.0. And it could have been, it could have worked now also. But I, I think that it, because of the times and because we, we want to be res- respected for, for being, uh, being funny. And it, it became clear that the funniest situation was for Karen to be making this, this birthday cake and for Grace having to defend it. Always the story first, and it's always the funny first. And then, of course, you did you did end up with your face in a cake, which was great. So that was my second favorite thing, you know, of the of the season. I mean, we were like, come on, there's a cake right here. I mean, you got to put your face in it. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. The show has been a hit twice now, you know, both incarnations. Are you able to look at it as a performer and have a better idea now of what it really takes to make a comedy work and what's essential to keeping it on the air or is it still sort of a mystery? I do think it's a mystery, but I will say that the only reason why Will and Grace became as successful as it did was because back at that time, they let us stay on the air for a year of, of Midland ratings. And I, and nowadays I think shows don't get enough time to find their legs and to find their, their, their voice and their tone and to figure out, okay, who are these brand new characters that we're creating? I think there are so many different outlets now and so much competition that I, you know, prime time, they've got to hit or they've got to just move on. And that, that is what I think makes a hit on primetime television impossible. In terms of Will and Grace, you know, prior to it, you know, I, I had done single camera, uh, camera comedy, I'd done drama. When I was thinking about what I wanted to do next, I, I remember having a conversation with my, my team and saying, I'm so sad because the thing that brings me the most joy as an audience member is sitting at home and watching an old-fashioned four-camera comedy and laughing out loud. And, and that's anachronistic now. It's, it, it really is, is out of vogue because the comedies are, are more often than not, they're single camera. And I was going to say, and the ones that are successful four-camera comedies have been on for 10 years. And I remember feeling like, you know what, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to do what I love doing most because I don't think it's just not what people are writing anymore. And, and then, you know, the Will and Grace thing came back and I was like, this is a miracle because I get to go back into that world and I get to play one more time. And so in order to make a, a, a successful show, you get the writer first and then you get the best actors first. So I was a producer on Starter Wife. And so I know those conversations of what about actor X? They're connected to this show that was popular, but that the actor, actor X is totally wrong for the part, but they're going to bring eyes. If that were not a consideration and it was just a matter of putting quality first and they had people had the creative people were left alone and had time to really focus on it, I I think we would have more hits on TV. 
Well, it's a good point. And it's interesting because now you guys have demonstrated that revivals can work well. And part of the successes we discussed was the original team coming back. And now there are many more in the works. I was going to ask you, how do you feel about this trend uh, of revivals, you know, because it is kind of bringing back the multicam comedy in some cases. And uh, Last Man Standing is coming back on, on Fox. What do, you, what do you think of this trend? Well, I think the fact that it's bringing the old-fashioned comedies back is, is fantastic because I love them so much. The reboots started before us. I mean, there was, you know, Arrested, Arrested Development and Gilmore Girls. and But yes, we were the first primetime TV show that, you know, I mean, we, I don't know if you know this, we were only supposed to do 10 episodes. Yeah. And then it just was lightning in a bottle again. It was supposed to be, it's like, okay, let's do what Gilmore Girls did. Let's like do a finite amount and let's know why we're doing it. And let's really have an arc and, and do this thoughtfully. And uh, because that's the only reason to come back. And then the very first table read, we read that we read the first episode and everyone was laughing. And that night, Bob Greenblatt called and said, I want to pick up for the year for 22 episodes. And we had we, we hadn't even filmed anything yet. We didn't even know if we had chemistry. We didn't even know if it, if it was going to work. And so it, it very quickly became something like, oh, you can really bring back an old show, not not just a, a, a little mini but you can really you can really do it, and um, you know Murphy Brown was brilliant, brilliant show, and I love that cast, and I I'm totally thrilled to see what they're up to now. You know I have to ask this: What about some point in the future, might a little show called Smash get its own revival because we miss it and love it so? Hell yes! Let me clarify that answer. I love Smash so much. I loved the first season of Smash. It was really about making a Broadway show. And there was something really thrilling about pulling back the curtain like Wizard of Oz. And our cast was so close and it, 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 was, it was wonderful. And then they, they changed showrunners. And I, I believe that if, if, if you're not going to go with the original showrunner, who has spent years developing it, then you should just say, you know what, we tried, God bless, and now let's all move on. I think it rarely works when you bring in someone who has nothing to do with the inception of it in season two. So it became a different show, it became younger and sexier, and it was just different. And, and a lot of people loved that version of it. And it, but it got schizophrenic. If we were able to come back for like a finite number of, of, episodes and we were able to dip in and see where all these characters were uh and there was again a really thoughtful story arc and character development the original team came together i think that would be uh it would be a ball all right. Well, fingers crossed, because I, there are plenty of people out there who would be thrilled to have that happen. I don't know if you have any thoughts or ideas or knowledge of what might be going ahead for Grace next season. You guys wrapped up a, your first season in May, and you'll be back in the fall. What's what's coming up for Grace, or what's something you'd like to see come up for her? What I'm happy about is uh, she is going to she's going to start dating. Intentionally, we didn't do this first season because we just wanted to sort of 
reintroduce the main four and sort of get to know them again. But the idea of seeing Grace in this world, you know, swiping left with these apps, to me, that it would be, it's just, I'm very, very excited about it. And to see what kind of game she has now, which I doubt is very good. (laughs) She has to bring back the water bra, don't you think? Yes, yes. All the things that, that make being a woman, single woman, uh, in 2018, hell. Uh, you know, those are the things that I want to play around with. Well, yes, that sounds very funny. Well, it was such a delight talking to you. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, congratulations again on all the success. And we look forward to seeing more of the show next season. Thank you so much. It was great talking to you. Have a great day. That's going to do it for another episode of Chasing Emmy. Thank you so much for listening. If you like us, or even if you don't like us, I'll leave some feedback and rate us at your local neighborhood podcast store. We'd love to hear your comments and are striving to put on the best podcast possible. Thank you so much to our producers, Christina and Patrick, and we'll be back next week. Today's podcast was brought to you by the Prime Original Series, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, from executive producers Amy Sherman Palladino and Daniel Palladino. It stars Rachel Brosnahan, Alex Borstein, Tony Shalhoub, Marin Hinkle. It's won two Golden Globes. You need to consider it marvelous in all categories.